Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lexicon Valley is sponsored by The Great Courses, with engaging audio and video lectures taught by top professors. Courses like The Story of Human Language. Get up to 80% off the original price when you visit thegreatcourses.com slash lexicon. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today, episode number 55, a new installment of Linguophile, wherein we discuss a mystery word or phrase with lexicographer Ben Zimmer. Hey, Mikey. Hey, Ben. Hey, Bobby. Hey, Ben. How you guys doing? Doing great here. Splendid here. Neither of you asked, but I'll just offer that I'm also well. Uh, hey, Ben, did we ask Mike? You know, I think there was some sort of pleasantry there he should have responded to. Well, let me, uh, let me re-pleasantry. How are you, Mike? I'm fabulous. Thanks for asking, Bob. Oh, you're so very welcome. Ben, I'm going to get right into it today. I want to know what our clue is. No more pleasantries. We're all well. Nobody cares how we're doing, really. Okay, let's go right to the clue. All right, good. So this time we've got an eight-letter word, and uh, I'm going to throw some words at you that will help you put this word together. So you ready? Bob, are you ready? I don't want to catch you off guard here. You're just going to bombard us with words that added together will somehow make us think of this other word. That's correct. Okay, so here goes. California registered nurse, intravenous aluminum. Okay, Uh, Mike, I think... I think Ben has had some sort of psychic break. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Uh, babbling incoherently. (laughs) Cardinal. Nope. California. You're close. Oh, oh, uh, carnival. Carnival. (laughs) Carnival. 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 Okay, what? (laughs) Well, carnival, it's an eight-letter word. If you divide it up into two-letter segments there, you get C-A, California. R-N, registered nurse. I-V, intravenous. A-L, aluminum. Carnival. Yeah. So carnival, then, has some kind of weird or interesting etymology, I'm guessing, although I don't think I would have guessed that. It seems like a pretty straightforward word. What's up with carnival? Well, if it seems straightforward, uh, you know, let's hear your straightforward explanation for it. Where do you think it might come from? Well, meat. I'm going to start with meat. Meat is always a great place to start. Well, as the pescatarian of the group here, I'm going to agree with Bob, and I'm going to say that it has something to do with the Christian Lent period and the then Carnival. Or... Yeah, it's the last time you can eat meat for the entire Lenten duration. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, you guys are zeroing in right away at the uh, most likely uh, source for all of this. All right, well, there we go. Let's wrap and it up. We're done. Then. <laughs> all right, so listen, guys, have a splendid weekend. I got to scoot. If only it were that simple. It's never that simple. Come on now. It's always complicated, isn't it? <laughs> it always is. All right. So you, you got the meat root right away there from the, the Latin word caro, carnis, which, of course, also gives us carnal and all those other meaty, fleshy words. And you're right to uh, zero in also on the idea that because Carnival, the great celebration that happens in many parts of the world, happens right before the beginning of Lent, it has something to do with not getting to eat meat for the duration of Lent. So you gorge yourself on every fleshy animal that you can find and kill. <laughs> There's a lot of gorging going on, and that uh, historically has been the case since medieval times. It's just uh, ridiculous amounts of eating, especially you know the fattiest foods that you can find. And so from that, we get the whole tradition of Fat Tuesday or Mardi Gras in French, mm-hmm. uh, which happens right before Ash Wednesday, and you have to give it all up for 46 days, 40 days plus six Sundays before you get to Easter. And I'm guessing that none of us, Bob being a Jew and Ben, you and I being half Jews, none of us have actually observed this practice. Wait, you guys haven't half abstained? (laughs) I I abstain on my mother's side only. (laughs) So uh, it's a primarily Catholic tradition, obviously, so it makes sense that this is something that develops in medieval Europe in those countries with lots of Catholics in them and then spreads to places like Latin America and the Caribbean and New Orleans because of the French bringing that tradition and starting the Mardi Gras tradition there. Right, and Brazil, I believe, has one of the most flamboyant carnivals of all. That's right. The one in Rio is quite famous. You want to talk celebrating flesh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you go. You're saying there seems to be a double meaning of flesh there, right? There's the kind of flesh that you eat, And there's the fleshly, (laughs) carnal world as well that might come to mind. And both of those meanings are there in the Latin root as well. What's happening with the meat or the flesh? I mean, what what do you think is the vol part that goes along with the carny for flesh or meat? Carnival, carnival, it's probably not yet referring to the spectacle on the side of the road where you can ride a Ferris wheel and play some games. <laughs> well, that is a much later innovation. That, that happens in the United States, the idea of the traveling carnival. So once the carnival gets kind of unmoored from the liturgical calendar and can refer to uh, any fun type of festivity like that, then we get the idea of the traveling carnival. And that actually goes back in American history to 1893, these rides and games and such going on on the Midway in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And then that was such a success that everybody in the country wanted to have their own Midway in their town. And so you would have these traveling carnival companies that would set up mechanical rides and the food and the games of chance and the games of skill and all that stuff. So the Midway, as in Midway Airport in that part of Chicago, was really the proto-fairgrounds that we see in lots of county seats all over the uh, this great nation of ours. That's exactly right. It was really the first modern amusement park, and it took place right there on the Midway Plaisance. It was kind of the sideshow for the main attractions of the Columbian Exposition, but they realized they had to make some money, and so they set up all of these things. They had the first Ferris wheel, things that people would want to come to see, like the Hoochie Coochie 
girl doing her dance in the streets of Cairo. And it became so famous and renowned across the country that the whole idea of the midway was something that became portable so that Mm. each town could have its own midway where the carnival folk, later called the carny folk or just carnies, would come and set up shop and and bring all that to your town. Now, where Carnies... Well, was thoughtful of you, Ben, to answer the question Mike asked while ignoring the one that you had posed. <laughs> let me, what let... about the Val part of it? And I think it goes back to the same root that gives us value and valor, and maybe even valium. But, Bob, I just want to stay on Carney for a second. I want to know if the carnival folk, the Carnies of the original carnivals in the 1800s were as well-regarded and esteemed in society as they are today? Uh, let's just say they were never held in high regard. Um, and the, the <laughs> We get images of the carny really showing up in the 1930s. I mean, if anybody's familiar with the extremely bizarre HBO show Carnival, you'll be familiar with that sort of uh, early 1930s Dust Bowl era traveling carnival and the types of characters that might be associated with that. And these uh, carnies were always thought of as being pretty sketchy individuals, and they're described from that point as having their own special language, their insider talk, that they would be able to keep their secrets away from the customers so that the customers wouldn't know what really what was going on. Kind of like the Cockney criminal class with its rhyming slang. Yeah, they had their own kind of argot as well for the carnies. Yeah, and in fact, I happen to know one phrase, and then we'll get back to Val, I promise. I happen to know a phrase, I believe it goes, hey, Rube. Hey, Rube. Yeah, which is a phrase that carnies supposedly would shout when they wanted the help of other carnival folk to fight maybe people who were patrons of the carnival. That's right. In fact, there was a book called Hey Rube published in 1933, which uh, talked about the carnies. Yeah, I guess from that, we get the idea of the rube being a hick or someone who's easily deceived. Hmm. So, Bob... And I think, you know, I think we would be remiss if we didn't point out that the Beatles song honoring (laughs) those uh, naifs, uh, Hey, rube, (laughs) let's ride the Ferris wheel. Yeah. Do, 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 do. How am I doing? Lovely. Okay, I think that musical interlude is perhaps a good opportunity for us to take a very short break and mention our sponsor, The Great Courses. Most of you are listening to this podcast because, like me, you're fascinated by language. That's why I recommend The Great Courses lecture called The Story of Human Language. It is a perfect fit for Lexicon Valley listeners. It's taught by Professor John McWhorter at Columbia University, whom we've had on this podcast. What I love about this series is that McWhorter begins with what seems like a very simple question, but is really very complicated. What is language? What makes human language and what distinguishes human language from the way other animals communicate? That's the very foundation of the very first episode of this series, and it only gets more and more fascinating. A word of caution During the course of this lecture, I tried on a couple of occasions to watch a single episode and ended up watching two or three because it's very difficult to stop after just one. So I would block out an hour or more when you sit down to watch this. The Great Courses is celebrating its 25th anniversary, over 500 courses on topics from linguistics to history to psychology. The Great Courses created a special limited-time offer for Lexicon Valley listeners. You can order from 
eight of their best-selling courses, including the story of human language, at up to 80% off the original price. So don't wait. Go to thegreatcourses.com slash lexicon. That's thegreatcourses.com slash lexicon. Okay, so Val, Bob, you are saying goes to the root of valor, valium. I think that's a pretty good guess. It may also have something to do with valley, although that doesn't really make a lot of sense. What would a meat valley be? Mm, I don't want to speculate. I don't know, but that, that sounds like an urban dictionary term if ever <laughs> there were one. <laughs> well, Bob's guess is one that a lot of people have assumed, actually. The, the root that goes back to the Latin word that has to do with strength or being strong that we see in words like valiant and valor and things like that. And there was actually a Latin exclamation, vale, which literally means be well, and it's a kind of a farewell. It's what you say when someone is leaving, and you bid them farewell. It literally would mean sort of be well or be strong. I believe Farewell to meet until 40 days pass and we meet again. Uh, ah, farewell yeah. to meet uh, for 40 days until we meet again. And that has been the popular explanation of where carnival comes from. It's just carne vale, meet farewell or mm -hmm. flesh farewell. So we actually find this explanation in sources going all the way back to um, 1611. There was a famous Italian-English dictionary by John Florio. So the word was very new in the English language, and John Florio was explaining the Italian word, carnivale. He gives the then-popular English translation for it, which was Shrovetide, because, of course, it's also Shrove Tuesday, mm -hmm. that day before Ash Wednesday. That word Shrove referring to the act of penitence, of being shriven, where you have to repent for your sins by confessing something you should be doing in advance of Lent. Although Shrovetide, I believe, is more popular in British English than in American English. That's right, yeah. So Shrovetide is the English version of it. Well, you had the, these other words like carnivale in Italian and similar words in French and other Romance languages. And so Florio in 1611 says this is when flesh is bidden farewell. A couple of centuries later, Lord Byron wrote a long poem when he was living in Venice. Venice is famous for its carnival, the Venetian carnival. So in 1817, he wrote Beppo, a Venetian story. The story takes place during the Venetian carnival. And in the poem itself, Lord Byron explains this feast is named the carnival, which being interpreted implies farewell to flesh. So called because the name and thing agreeing, through Lent they live on fish, both salt and fresh. Ugh, I am so tired of this. All the time, Lord Byron and me, Lord Byron and me, coming <laughs> You're to the, on same the same conclusion. <laughs> Wait, Beppo? Wasn't that one of the Marx brothers? <laughs> Beppo. <laughs> yes. Beppo was just a sort of a funny Italian short form of Giuseppe, who's uh, one of the characters who's nickname is just Beppo. So this explanation has obviously been around for quite a long time. But in fact, etymologists agree that this is what we would just call a folk etymology, a false etymology. Okay, so here's the complication that you're about to introduce. <laughs> yeah. If you look back at those early examples, they come from northern Italy. And we're going all the way back to like 1130. This is in Milan. There's a liturgical manual. And it, it means this celebration that people were having before Lent. So it has that meaning there already. And so what we find in those early examples, we find that the word is not exactly carnevale, but there's an extra syllable in there. 
carne lavale, carne lavare. And so the etymology that has been widely accepted as being the real one, as opposed to that fake one of farewell to the flesh, has to do not with that vale root, but another word from Latin, lavare, which lavare. can mean taking away or lifting or lightening. Lavare. <laughs> do, 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 do. I got a song for every occasion, guys. Yeah. <laughs> so if the idea then is that we're taking away the meat, then that would make sense for carne lavare. Carne lavare, carne lavale, eventually you lose a syllable in there, it becomes carnevale, carnaval, and so forth. Hmm. So a very literal reading, just like we were seduced into doing with carnevale, but literal in a different way because there's a, this missing ghost syllable. Yeah. So that's what you'll actually find in most uh, dictionaries. But there are medieval scholars, scholars of, uh, of medieval Europe, who think that that's still not quite getting at it. Well, what's their beef? Well, there are scholars who are looking at this carnival tradition, particularly one named Philippe Walter, as a kind of a vestige of various pre-Christian pagan rituals, which then got reinterpreted and Christianized when it became associated with having to give up meat for Lent. Well, there's plenty of precedent for pre-existing rituals appropriated or expropriated to advance the, the doctrine or liturgical interests of Christianity. Uh, there are all sorts of pagan rites surrounding Christmas, for example, have just been cut and pasted into Christianity. So maybe the pagans, for whatever animistic reason, didn't eat meat in the spring. And the Christians said, yeah, we like that. We'll take that too. <laughs> <laughs> right, because many religions have tied to them at points along the calendar a sacrifice that involves food. Right, absolutely. And, and a I fast. Mean that... you mean, yeah, you mean a sacrifice as in killing an animal or a sacrifice as in fasting? Oh, oh I meant a sacrifice meaning self-deprivation. Yeah. But also the other kind of sacrifice, a sacrifice of an animal to a deity. I mean, that's a very sort of pagan-style ritual, the type of thing that those early Christians would be trying to get rid of. And in fact, as Philip Walter points out, there was an ancient deity known to the Romans a goddess whose name was Karna, C-A-R-N-A. Hello, Karna. And Philip Walter refers to the goddess Karna as the goddess of pork and beans. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kid you not, is there's she, a goddess of pork and beans. Is she like the mascot for Heinz? <laughs> if Heinz knew about her, then yeah, maybe they would adopt her. And who is the patron saint for Vienna sausages, is my question. <laughs> I think Karna covers all of your pork products, as well as the uh, the lard that might be associated with particularly fatty pork like bacon and ham and so forth. Wait, now I, as a kid, I had a very deep interest in Greek and Roman mythology, and I read lots of books, including the classic by Edith Hamilton. I don't yeah. remember Karna, to be honest with you. She must be a very minor deity. Edith Hamilton called her Spamma. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> That's what they still call her in Hawaii. You know, Karna does only show up in, in a couple of places. So, for instance, um, Ovid. Ovid talks about her in a work called The Fasti, F-A-S-T-I. And that was a work that actually talked about all of these kind of archaic Roman religious practices that were tied to the calendar. And so Karna had her own celebration. The celebration had to do with these kinds of sacrifices, food offerings that you would make to Karna, fatty meats like sausage and ham, various pork things, and then also beans are very, are very important as well. So you would make a sacrifice and you would also eat this food. Mm -hmm. And we can see that for Mardi Gras and Carnival, we still have some rituals that have to do with beans, actually. There's something called the king cake. And doesn't the king cake have hidden in it some little goodie? That's right. Originally, the little goodie that was hidden was a bean. And if you found the bean, then you were the king of the feast. Current traditions, usually it's a little plastic figurine that's supposed to actually represent the baby Jesus. And there might be stories about how the three kings had to go in search of the baby Jesus and the cake is round because they had to go around the long way in order to, to make sure that uh, Herod didn't know where they were going. You know, various things tied to that story. Wow. Before Grand Theft Auto and Halo, the world's population had a very, very, very low threshold of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think Find the Bean is a, is a fun little activity? And, I don't know. <laughs> hey, yeah. Who wants to play Find the Bean? Uh, no, I'm just going to I'm just gonna. But, but you'll you be, get king. To be king. king. You'll be king. king. You get to be king. Yeah, but it's That's really right. just king and title only. There's no actual powers that go along with it. Yeah. Wait, so let me just make sure I'm up to date here. So this French medieval scholar is saying that there was this Roman goddess, Carna, and that feast is possibly, probably what became the carnival that we now know today. And in fact, there are all of these small routines and rituals that go along with that feast, some of which we can see echoes of, fingerprints of, in the rituals that we still practice today. Yeah, and he's teasing us because he has drawn a conclusion <laughs> And he's withholding, as usual. So what's the deal? Where, but but it still your... doesn't get it where the Val came from, though, Well, right? exactly. Let's talk about the Val. So Philippe Walter has his own little theory about the Val part, and it has nothing to do with Valle or Lavare or those other Latin roots that we were talking about. But it has to do with something else that might be celebrated in the middle of February. Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. Yes, the Feast of St. Valentine. Philip Walter sees this as highly significant that the St. Valentine's Day celebration happens smack dab in the middle of February, right when uh, Carnival, you know, also happens. But I thought Valentine's Day was conjured up in like 1952 by Hallmark. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, the whole idea of uh, making cards and so forth, uh, I believe that the cards and letters that started in, in England in the mid-19th century and then stopped for a while, it declined, and then it was revived in the 1920s, and then Hallmark ran with that. But, you know, there was this feast day that was set up, not, again, originally having to do anything to do with romantic love, but there was a feast day of St. Valentine that was set up exactly at this time in mid-February. 
And it's pretty well established, too, that saints could be these kind of successors to those pre-Christian pagan deities that were associated with certain times on the calendar where that deity might have a certain kind of aura, a certain kind of myth surrounding him or her, and that gets taken up by a saint when you create a saint's day on the calendar. So in ancient Roman and Greek mythology, deities had a kind of bailiwick, right? They had an area of expertise, a kind of domain over which they were god or goddess. So then it makes sense that if these saints were a kind of appropriation of these deities, then these saints would also, as they do, have their own purview. And so as a result, you're saying that the Carna Roman goddess got mashed up with the Val, Saint Valentine, to become this sort of all-purpose feast in the midwinter. Yeah, in in that time in mid-February, and and it's interesting, actually, the the very word February has to do with these Roman rituals of purification, and it ties to the whole sort of founding story of Rome with Romulus and Remus. There were ritual meals and ritual sacrifices that were associated with that time in Rome. The idea of carnage, actually, that, that, that term that we think of for, you know, lots of killing and so forth, actually originally referred to the killing of animals during this time. Yeah, I mean, once you start thinking about it in, in this way and like looking for these sort of pre-Christian precursors, you start seeing all sorts of interesting connections. And unfortunately, we're still dealing with a lot of conjecture and speculation because we may never really know. I mean, what is the connection between Carnival and Valentine? Um, we have the provocative vowel syllable that seems to join them together and all of these things happening on the calendar and various rituals that are associated with beans and fertility and meat and so forth. But it all becomes a lot sort of richer and more interesting than just the simple etymology that might be presented in the sort of standard Christian understanding of it. I think it's only fair that we point out to our listeners, though, Ben, that this French guy practices his medieval scholarship in his parents' basement. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> he's a, he's a well-respected scholar from, from what I can tell. Uh, well, we can't always be sure of the absolute etymology of these words, but it doesn't stop us from shriving for perfection. <laughs> Do you have a song, Bob? You want to sing us out? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. To shrive with my last ounce of courage <laughs> to reach the unreachable carn. I love uh, it, Man of La Mancha. You, I had short notice for that musical <laughs> hilarity. Uh, I think I delivered. All right. Well, Ben, I, I think we should end it there on uh, Bob's high note, as it were. <laughs> ben, ben, as always, a delight. Thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure with you guys. Ben Zimmer is a columnist for The Wall Street Journal and executive producer of Vocabulary.com, where his Word Roots column this week will have much more about the word carnival. You can write to us at lexiconvalley at slate.com. That's lexiconvalley at slate.com. Follow us on Twitter at Lexicon Valley and subscribe to our feed, please, in iTunes. Joel Meyer is our managing producer. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. Lexicon Valley is part of the Panoply Network. You can find all of the Panoply podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply, P-A-N-O-P-L-Y. Mikey, are we done here? Yeah, I think we're done. I might actually go uh, get a plate of meat. <laughs> Hey, do me a favor. Yeah. Uh, put a bean aside for me. <laughs> we'll do. Later, Gator. Hey.